Well, hello. Let me add my welcome to those we've heard already today. My name is Neil Apatu. I'm the Associate Minister at Christchurch Surbiton Hill. Please bow your heads to pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it really is my great pleasure and privilege to be able to proclaim God's message to us today uh, as we come to the final sermon in this four-part series looking at what the Bible has to say about church leaders. And we've been looking at this together now as two churches in one parish, Emmanuel Church and Christ Church, uh, to give us, if you like, Bible-shaped glasses. So we know what we should be looking for in our next vicar. But it's not just for our future vicar or the ministry that Bart and I and other ordained members of clergy in this parish are involved in. It's also about how the whole church family together support God's work, acting as one body when each member of our family takes the opportunities to serve in so many different ways. So all that being said, uh, let's look at today's uh, message at the gifts of a church leader from chapter three of Paul's first letter to his ministry protege, Timothy. Now, those of you with a good memory will have a sense of deja vu as Katie read God's word to us just a moment ago, because there's a lot of overlap in this list with what Bart said last week from Titus chapter one. And I'd encourage you to listen back to Bart's sermon to understand some of the features of this list a bit better. I'm not going to go back through this list today, uh, but instead spend our time looking at two main gifts that God seems to have given to church leaders. Firstly, the gift of teaching, and then the gift of leadership. So let's briefly explore the first of these two gifts, the gift of teaching. And this comes at the end of verse two. Now, the overseer is to be able to teach. It'd be pretty silly if these church leaders knew all the right things, all the right stuff, but weren't able to pass it on to someone, wouldn't it? I used to produce uh, hip hop music when I was younger, you know, before uh, a wife, before children, before real responsibilities. And one day I paid for a three hour session in a local studio uh, so the sound engineers could uh, teach me how to master my tracks to make them sound better. It turned out to be a complete waste of money because uh, there I was in this studio uh, with this great engineer who knew what knobs to turn and what, what plugins to tweak. They had no idea how to teach me to do the same thing. He just kept saying things like, you really want to, you know, make the sound pop, don't you? You know, I didn't really know. That wasn't helpful to me. That wasn't teaching me. The guy had all the knowledge up here, all the ideas, but he wasn't able to, to pass it on to teach someone else. So God has given his word ministers the gift of teaching to enable them to pass on themselves the things that they've learned. What are word ministers uh, given the gift of teaching to teach? Well, in summary, we can say probably two things. Jesus and what accords to sound doctrine. Now, remember from Ephesians 4 a few weeks ago that God's church matures as they increase in their knowledge about the Son of God, Jesus, and that word ministers were given as gifts to the church to do that work. You remember also how uh, Jesus, with his disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, showed them how all of the scriptures pointed to him. 
You'll remember how Paul writes to the Colossian church that we are to preach nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. So our message is always, always Christ-centred. He is the fulfilment of all God's promises. Through him, God speaks clearly to us today. And so whether we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, uh, whether we're counselling someone or just out for a social drink, our teaching is to always point people to our Lord Jesus, risen and reigning today. So church leaders are to teach about Jesus, but also what accords with sound doctrine. Now, this is a common instruction in the New Testament for word ministers to teach along the grain, if you like, of God's word. We could use another word, orthodoxy, would mean a similar thing. Now, many people today want to do away with doctrine. That's the beliefs uh, we hold as true. And theology, that's the way we live out our doctrine. They say that it's too ancient, it's too dusty, too technical, too religious, and it, it just puts people off. Let me just say two quick things about this. Uh, firstly, according to the Bible, church leaders don't have a choice. We are instructed to only teach what is in agreement with the doctrines the Bible clearly expresses. Now, that's not my emotions or my feelings. It's not the advice that the people I love give me. It's not what's on the radio or the news. It's not what's in the latest Disney movie. Church leaders must stand on these words alone, these truths alone. So must all who call Jesus their Lord. These are God's words after all. And secondly, because as Christians, everything we say and do comes down to our doctrine and theology. What we believe about God, how we believe he acts, what we believe he, he has done and what we believe he will go on to do shapes every part of our lives, or at least it should. The Bible reveals this to us and the work of the church leader is to faithfully teach it, not leaving out the hard stuff and not glossing over the complex bits, but to teach it faithfully so that the church body can grow up and grow in unity. When we look at Jesus's interactions with the religious leaders, he had some pretty uncomfortable things to say to them about how they were teaching the wrong stuff. Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. He's God after all. And he has given word ministers to his church with the gift of teaching so that church leaders will continue his work, his ministry. And we need to prioritise this gift as we look for our new minister. Not the size of their last congregation, not their business skills, and not how they manage the building project. No, we need to prioritise their gift of teaching and their faithfulness to Jesus and sound doctrine. So church leaders are given the gift of teaching, but also they're given the gift of leadership. Look with me at verses four and five. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can they take care of God's church? Here, as elsewhere in the Bible, God is making parallels between the church and the household, the family. Now, I'm aware as I say this that for some of us, our spider senses might be tingling right now. I recognise that the idea of male leadership in a household might be 
off-putting or uncomfortable, and even in some cases painful to think about. As we reflect on father figures who have either abused their role or neglected it. I don't want to undermine your experience if this includes you, but hear me when I say that our world is full of fallen and broken people who don't live the way that God intended us to in the home or in the church, unfortunately. Failings and abuses by men do not demonstrate that these words in God's Bible are wrong, but instead point to our need for someone who is the perfect man, a man who perfectly loves his bride, who perfectly cares for and raises his children. And that man is Jesus, not a church leader, who loved his bride, the church, us, so much that he gave his life up for us, sacrificing himself in love to rescue us. And our failings we see around us as fathers should lift our eyes to God, our great father, not our church leaders, who perfectly loved his son Jesus, a father who cared for, taught and raised his children Israel by his word and who by his spirit has adopted each of us who call Jesus Lord as his very own children, caring for us, teaching and raising us now. This is the good news we cling to as Christians. And if you don't yet believe it, or if you're finding it hard to accept, speak to a Christian you know, or get in touch with Bart or I. We'd love to show you just how loved you are as a child of God and a bride of Christ. So church leaders, are to care for, raise and teach their family as their first priority. We hear all too often, don't we, of church widows whose partners give so much time to the care of the church that a spouse and children are often neglected at home. And it's not just church leaders. There are those who maybe serve in children's ministries who can give so much time and energy to preparing to minister to and teach the children who come to church on a Sunday, but who sadly never opened the Bible with their own children, or who prioritise being on the coffee rotor when really, perhaps on that Sunday, they should prioritise sitting with their family in church. This passage doesn't mean that church leaders must be married or must have children. Otherwise, as Bart said last week, that would likely exclude Paul and Jesus themselves. And it doesn't mean that if they have children, that they are always obedient and respectful. I know that my children uh, often aren't. There is a sin in our hearts and in the hearts of our children that prevents all of us from living this out perfectly. Instead, it's how the church leader manages their family, which is important. When their children sin, do they let them run wild or do they discipline them too harshly? Or in grace and love, do they rebuke them and lead them back to the gospel with consequences when necessary? Does the church leader allow their child to continue to act sinfully without intervening or do they pray for them and for the sake of their child's soul they plead with them to walk in the light and obedience of Christ? Does the church leader seek forgiveness from their spouse and even their children? Do they model repentance and leaning on the Lord Jesus? 
In the first book of Samuel, we read of two religious leaders, Eli and even Samuel himself, who turned a blind eye to their son's terrible sins. And the consequences were tragic. These are a warning for us. If a church leader is incapable of teaching or managing their own family, if they neglect the responsibility as a spouse and a parent, then their care for the church, according to God, is hypocrisy at best and evil at worst. It would be a sad day, wouldn't it, when a church leader gifted in teaching about God's word cared more for the salvation and the maturity of their church than for their own partner or children at home. I often get a pang of guilt in my own heart over this. Do pray for me. A wise minister once said to me, my responsibility is first to God, then to my wife, then to my children, then to my parents, and only then to the church. If this order is wrong, then I'm not truly loving God. I pray that all of us who are married or have children, not just church leaders, but all Christians by God's spirit would be committed to their care and discipleship more than to our ministry for God. And that for all of us, brothers and sisters around the church, whether we're married or single, that we would have the courage as a family to remind each other of our priorities when we think we've lost our focus. So, God has given his church leaders two gifts to help them in their work for him. The gift of teaching, which is Christ-centred and faithful to God's word, and the gift of leadership. As we close out this series, do join me in praying for our church councils as they seek to discern whom God is appointing as our next minister. That by God's spirit, he would give our reps eyes to discern the priorities, the work, the character and the gifts these candidates have displayed in past ministries and that they would appoint a faithful minister of God's word as our next church leader here. Amen. Since this is 